You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. think I would hear that for a while because that's the first time in three years that I've, or the beginning of three years, that I have not heard that because it was Lent 2020 when the pandemic started. And for two years, I have not been able to gather and hear people respond back, he is risen indeed. The first year being in a room by myself in my office, streaming on Zoom the service, and then the second year in an empty sanctuary. And so, I don't know about you, but um, the weight and the excitement and the joy to be able to hear your voices back, um, responding, he has risen indeed, is a gift. Because I'll tell you, I did not think it would take this long. I know many of you, as the pandemic started, probably like me, and you kind of thought to yourselves, like, oh, this will take a couple weeks, a couple months, maybe six months, maybe a year. None of us anticipated we would be entering into year three with still uncertainty around what the future holds for variants and when a vaccine will come for children under five and just what that world and our world will look like post-pandemic. There's just so much uncertainty still around this and none of us could have imagined it. And reality is, is a lot of us, we, we build our times and our year and our rhythm around a cadence of expectations, right? There's certain changing in the seasons that happen. Right now we're in that changing season, are we not? We wake up some mornings and we're like, oh, the weather looks amazing. And we're excited and maybe we change what we're going to wear. We put some other things away. And then the next day it's like, oh, it's so cold. <laughs> and then we bust the stuff back out. And then some days, like yesterday, we, we like the news people tell you that's going to be a, a certain weather out. And then you show up and you're like, oh, man, I want to like peel all the layers off. Like this is not, these are the only people who can do their job wrong and not lose it. Like I don't understand <laughs> how this happens. Um, and, and I think the reality is, is we live by this cadence of the weather and the changing of seasons, but also holidays, right? Like we sort of look forward to these mile markers of Easter and Christmas and Pentecost and ordinary time. If you're growing up in maybe mainline, more traditional settings of the church calendar, we, we, we think about time as far as like our birthdays and different uh, mile markers in our lives and memories, whether traumatic or celebratory. We sort of live by these mile markers, these seasons, these changing of time. And reality was with this pandemic, we just never knew. It just felt like constant whiplash. It felt like we, we never knew when things would be over and people would say, oh, it's over, we're entering into this phase or that, and then we'd find ourselves losing ground and back where we were again. It was frustrating. So I don't know about you, but I want to ask you this morning, how are you responding to the grief of the whiplash of the changing seasons? How are you re responding to it? But also, how are you adjusting and grieving seasons that lasted longer than you expected or were cut shorter longer than you anticipated? How are you handling that? How are you holding that? How, how are you figuring that out? I know in the life and story of Jesus, I think that if anybody knows what it's like for a life to be snuffed out sooner than anticipated, it's Jesus. If anyone knows a life cut short or a season's unknown or unpredictable and people around him thrown into just utter confusion, it's the people who follow Jesus. I mean, at 33 years old, Jesus' life is cut abruptly short by being executed by the state. He's assassinated. He's taken out, and he's placed in a tomb on Good Friday. 
And then Mary, Mary, she shows up on Easter morning. She shows up on Easter morning to grieve. Some of you will think that maybe Mary showed up that morning to put spices on Jesus' body because he was so swiftly taken off of the cross on Friday evening on Sabbath before they could do all the things and necessary procedurals um, for burial. But I think reality is, is there's no way Mary could have moved that massive stone by herself. Mary didn't show up to put spices on the body. I believe full-heartedly Mary showed up for one reason and one reason alone, to grieve. She showed up to grieve that morning the loss of this man who she cared so deeply for, but more than that, who cared so deeply for her in a world where she, people told her she was not careworthy. And so when she shows up and she sees that the stone has been rolled away from the entrance, obviously it's extremely jarring to her whole consciousness. And so what does she do? She runs and she finds the other disciples to tell them what happened. And because they're like, well, there's no way that she, this could be possible. Maybe she's just like having blurred vision in her grief. And maybe she's just delusional and she's just in denial. They all, of course, have to rush and they have to go to the site and they have to see for themselves, is Christ's body really not in the tomb? And so they get there and, and you know, of course, they're, they're observing the tomb. I'm sure they, they see these linen clothes laying on the rock in there. And I could imagine some of the disciples looking around trying to find maybe the tracks of where Jesus' body had been dragged by someone else in the dirt. I imagine them running around trying to piece it all together. And in the blink of an eye, they all decide to just run off trying to figure it all out. Which is typically what the disciples always do, right? I mean, they're always just trying to figure it all out. They're not good with living with the mystery and the questions. They're always trying to piece it together. They all run away, but Mary. They all run away, but Mary. She stays at the tomb that morning. I saw a gift this week that said, in respect of biblical inerrancy, Resurrection Sunday this Sunday will be brought to you only by women because they're the only ones that stayed. <laughs> Reality is, is the Marys were the ones at the cross and Mary finds herself alone at the tomb. At the tomb to grieve. And so I imagine as the silence falls on the woods around her, as the disciples leave and she echoes herself back into the tomb, I could imagine the silence falling upon the tomb once more as she looks in and perhaps sees the tears that dropped in her face as she arrived prior to grief. She looks in once more to see if maybe she had just seen it wrong, if maybe her Jesus was there one more time. And with that, a bright light shines forth. And all of a sudden, two angels appear. And they ask her, why are you crying? And then she realizes it's Jesus is standing there. And as she sees Jesus standing there, I can imagine she's filled with grief, that fear grips her, uncertainty, confusion. She knows she had just seen him die not too long ago. How is it that he's standing before her? Anglican priest and writer Tish Harrison Warren, she describes grief this way. She says, grief is a real and right response to our vulnerability. Grief is appropriate. Grief means we are awake. There's a beautiful podcast about grief and what that looks like to, to walk through as an Anglican priest, um, helping walk people walk through grief throughout her ministry. And I think that reality is, is I imagine that, that Mary felt like she was not awake, like she was in a dream, like everything was very confusing for her. Yet in this moment, her grief feels so real. It is on the tip of her tongue. It is sweating down her face. She feels it. She's left at this tomb to grieve, uncertain of what it means and what to do. But Mary stays. And it's because Mary stays that the most beautiful thing happens. 
because Mary shows up to grieve and to feel the pain and because she stays while all the others rush off and rush past this moment, it is because of that that she is the first to experience her grief turn to joy. She's the first to see the risen Christ because she stayed. I think it's so hard when we're grieving to stay. It's so hard to stay in that place and to feel those emotions and to experience them, to find joy on the other side of it. But honestly, it is the only way to find joy is to stay. Exactly what Mary did. Easter is a weird day because it's filled with both the grief of the consequences of government-sanctioned violence unnecessarily put upon Christ, but also it is amazing because it's also filled with the joy that death and violence do not have and will never have the last word. Easter is a weird day because we live in the liminal space and the, the, the changing of the seasons between both grief and sadness of what we've lost and what we've witnessed and what we've gone through, but also joy that there is something new that is coming that is happening. I know so many of us in this room today, we have experienced that loss over the last few years. Whether that's lost loved ones, or whether that was a lost opportunity to grieve in community, whether it's here or to be able to go home and to partake, participate in funerals and memorials, or for there to be super small gathering instead of surrounded by a community of people. The feeling and the loss of what the last few years have brought us that we never could have anticipated. The loss of our jobs. I know so many people at Forefront that I've spoken to that came here in the beginning of the pandemic to find work in the arts. And we all know what happened to the arts over the last few years. And so many people in this church who are just hurting and sad because they came here with all they had and all their hopes and all their dreams. And they just don't know when and when and how and what is next. And for some of them and for some of you, I know that you are just unsure if the light is still flickering in you. You are discouraged, and you are heavy, and you are tired. You are grieving the loss of the last few years. It felt like they just never end. Many of us who've lost precious quality time with loved ones or relationships that buckled under the weight of this pandemic, roommates lost, friendships severed, and lost connections, weddings and births missed, and trips in community completely diminished. We're carrying the weight. I don't know what it is for you. This could go on. The things that we've lost that we're holding grief about that have been hard to let go of. Living in the tension of Easter is living with both the pain that exists with it, but also the joy that exists that's overcoming it. In Mary's grief, she both embraces joy and grief, and in doing so, she embraces Jesus. And Jesus' response to her is very odd. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if I lost someone that I loved, the very first thing I would do when I saw them before me, I would embrace them. I would touch them, and I would never let them because I would be afraid that the moment I let them go, that that would be it. And so Mary does exactly what all of us would likely do. She embraces Jesus, and Jesus' response to her is so curious. He says this, Mary, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. It's fascinating what he's doing here. He, he's telling her, Mary, don't cling too tightly to me because if you cling too tightly to me now, you'll miss the new thing that I'm about to do. Mary, don't cling too tightly to me to right now because I'm only back for 40 days and then I am going to go back and be in heaven. And then in 50 days, I will send the Holy Spirit. Of course, he doesn't give the timeline because God never does that. It'd be really convenient. <laughs> he just 
disappears and just, you know, you kind of just, but you're left sort of trying to figure out what to do and what's going to happen next. And then the Holy Spirit comes and everyone's like, what is going on? But what's beautiful about this picture is that Mary is, is being reminded that, that, yes, this is hard, and yes, you are grieving what you're having to let go of, but if you cling to me now in the flesh, you will miss the new thing I'm giving to you that is even better than this very thing. I know you can't imagine it, but my spirit is going to come, and it is going to be in all people. You have been a part of a privileged few who have gotten to touch me and be with me and dine with me and experience me in new ways. But you know all of those masses of people that are always pressing in and following, they need me too, Mary. And as long as I'm in the flesh, I can't be with all of them in that way. Let me go so that I can come in a new way and be with all people throughout all time. Mary, let me go. My flesh may not comfort you now, but my spirit will come and it will comfort you later. Beautiful quote by Austin Channing Brown, the author and speaker of Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness, says, Jesus is preparing them in this moment for his ascension. His disciples will stay in the world, but they won't be alone. A comforter is coming. A comforter, it will be needed. A comforter will be needed because Jesus crushed violence, but this has yet to be fully realized in the world. A comforter will be needed because death has been conquered, but there still feels pain in the world. A comforter will be needed because the state still tramples across people for power. A comforter will be needed because the world is still awful. Jesus has conquered it all, but we wait for our Sunday. For when Sunday comes, our troubles will be over. She's clinging to Jesus in this moment. And she's reminded that although he has risen, there is still pain in this world. Sunday has not arrived for everyone. And so for that reason, the spirit, I will come. It's interesting, you think about in the Bible, it talks about that one day, God will wipe every tear from our eyes. It doesn't say we won't have tears. It just says that God will wipe them away. There will be tears. But God promised to be there as a comforter to wipe them away. In this very moment, that's exactly what Mary needs. Because she needs to remember these words because Jesus is only with them for a time. Father Ron, uh, Father Ron, uh, uh, Rollheiser, he did this really beautiful podcast about grief again. You can find these, these links on the live stream if you care to listen about these. And he says this, he says, Mary, if you cling to my physical body now, you won't have me in a new way later. God isn't going to resuscitate but what's what we once had. He's going to give us something new. The hardest part about living in the liminal space between grief and joy, between the changing of the seasons, between the letting go of one thing and the embracing of a new thing, is that it's hard because you don't, you, you don't fully see the new thing God is doing. And the only way to really see it is to let it go. Really beautiful image I was thinking about uh, when we, Austin and I first moved here. We had a 20-foot U-Haul, and then we attached to the back of the U-Haul a 10-foot trailer. Remember this? I know you do really well. You trauma from it. And, <laughs> and it, the 10-foot trailer that we added on was because all of our plants wouldn't fit in the 20-foot U-Haul. So we had a 10-foot trailer for just our plants. We have 35 plants, and bringing into our Brooklyn apartment, what were we thinking? It, it, it seemed like a better idea than, like, animals and kids, because, like, they don't get under our feet. You know, we can put them up on shelves. And so we, we bring them into this apartment, and we're excited, and we're putting them all in the different places. But over just a matter of a few weeks, uh, we're going around, and we're, like, picking up leaves all the time that are falling off of our, what seem like dying plants. And I'm like, oh, baby, our babies are dying. Like, we're plant daddies. What will we be if we lose them? 
And he's just like, I don't know. Maybe we need to water them more. Maybe we need to move them to different lighting options. We just weren't sure what was happening. And I mentioned this to a friend, and they said, your plants aren't dying. They're grieving. And I was like, whoa. If my plants are grieving, I bet I am too. Austin and I have been here for six months next week. And I'll tell you, when we first got here, it was really hard. I'm not saying that I'm not grieving. It's not hard still. But the beginning was really hard. Um, I was often really, really missing our friends and family. I was missing our house and the yard and my car. I was missing my office. And I was missing people in my last church that I've had to say goodbye to quickly as we moved. I was grieving a lot. And then in the midst of all of that, Omicron hit within the first two months of us being here. And services shut down. We didn't know anybody. And we were just felt so isolated in the heart, in the, heat, in the heart of winter. And I'm really good at not feeling. Like, I'm good at just rationalizing my feelings away and just being like, ah, like, it's going to be fine, it's good. And Austin's really good at feeling. Um, like, I mean, I, I, I sort of rush past it, and he can sit in for years. Um, <laughs> and so we balance each other because, like, he calls me to be like, no, you're going to sit with that for a minute. Like, we're going to feel this. We're not rushing past it. And then I call him, so, okay, we're moving on, we're moving on, we're moving on. And so we balance each other in that way very much so to feel. And so one of the things that I, I started to do was I would go around whenever I would pick up the plants around the house, I would hold the leaves in my hand. And before I threw them in the garbage, I would say, Josh, what are you grieving today? What leaves have you lost? And I would sit with what I was feeling and I would name it. And then as time went on, I started noticing some new growth in our plants. We only lost one plant, and it was hard to lose, but reality was it was way too big for our apartment, and we've, and we've replaced it with a better one. It was a hard one to say goodbye to, but we didn't really know what the new thing would be coming, and so it was hard to let go of the one thing. And as I began to recognize all this new life coming, I started to add to my routine of grief of picking up the dead leaves. I would then also look at the plants for the new signs of new life. And I would say, Josh, what are the signs of new life that you're excited about right now? What are the things in your life that you are excited about that are new right now? And it started to help me both feel the grief of the things I was letting go, but also look forward and get excited about and attached to the new things that were happening here in New York City. Those are, that's a hard tension in liminal space to live in, but it's essential in order for us to take steps forward, to see what God's doing, and to grieve and let go of the things that God once did that we're grateful for and will never forget. But if we cling to, we'll never experience the new thing God's doing. Thinking about this week, uh, or last week, uh, the celebration across our country of the first time that our, we had a black woman uh, serving on the Supreme Court. Yeah. But even bigger than that, another mile marker of that, this is the first time in our history when the Supreme Court isn't made up of a majority of white men. And the reality is, is that the tension and the pain that exists because of the imbalance, because of how power has been used, because of how power has been misused, we both step back this last week and we rejoice that this is where we are, of the joy that comes from that, but we also live in a deep, deep pain of all that led us to this moment, 
of all that injustice that occurred. There is grief that comes up that cannot go unchecked and unrecognized, that cannot go swept under the rug because we're so happy and so excited we've reached this point. For there is still so much more work to be done. And if we forget the grief from the past, we'll forget the work that needs to happen in the future and we'll miss the new thing that God wants to do. Living in a time of transition, of changing, of seasons, living in a spirit of resurrection Easter is both living in the liminal space of grief and of joy. Thinking about Senator Warnock sharing this really beautiful story of, of walking through his neighborhood one day, just on a casual afternoon walk, and he saw this little boy who noticed him and started pointing and smiling at him. And then he went in his house, you know, and, and a little bit later the, the door, doorbell rang, and it was this little boy standing at the front door, and he had a, a, a Senator Warnock sign, uh, election sign in his hands. And he said, I really hoped that you would win. And he said, I can't believe you live in my neighborhood. Senator Warnock reflects on this story, and he talks about how this is the why he does the work he does. Because a little black boy in his neighborhood could see a grown black man in his neighborhood grow up to be a senator. And maybe that little black boy one day could grow up and he could see his face and his name on that sign and maybe he could be a senator. But I could hear as Irvin Warnock shared that story in a podcast, I could hear in his voice the pain that led him and that he knew all the people had to go to, through to lead him to that moment. And he knew the pain that he was still facing in that moment to make it possible for that little boy to have that dream come true for him one day. Easter is a hard Sunday because it's both filled with grief and joy. But I think it's so appropriate for where we are in this season of the pandemic because we still are living in that liminal space of the blurring of seasons and the unknown elements of our future, of the loss of so much but the rebirth of so much new. And let me tell you something. I... Have, we, this pandemic has revealed so much injustice, so much disparity. I don't want the world to return as it used to. I want God to birth something new. And there are a lot of things I miss about the old world. And I, sometimes I just wish we could just hit reset. But then I realize if we rush too quickly back to what used to be, then we'll forget the new thing that God wants to do. So church, what is it this morning that you're grieving? What is it that you've missed, that you've lost, that you're hurting, that you're hoping for? Hold that and feel that. Sit with it and don't rush past it. But at the same time, have a vision for the future. Have a vision to see the new world that you believe the Spirit is calling you to create. And don't sit in your grief too long, but keep moving forward. Keep checking the world for new signs of growth. Keep watering it and giving it light. For if you do so, I believe something new will be birthed as you live into the liminal space of both grief and joy. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen and amen. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit of God, may you comfort us as only you, Holy Spirit, can comfort us. May you wipe the tears from our eyes. 
And may you give us the strength and courage to get up and to turn around and walk out of that tomb into something new. God, may you help us to never forget the journeys and the roads that have led us to where we are and the journeys and the roads and the tombs that others have experienced to lead us here. We thank you that we sit on the other side of 2,000 years of your spirit coming and filling and making all things new. And may the next 500 years be an example of something new for our world. A full, inclusive gospel. A world that desperately needs you in a new way. May we be that light. May you comfort us and may you give us courage that we may be the people in the world you're calling us to be. Let us see a new vision. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.